Hi, this is Chaz, and you're listening to my good friend Bob Main on the Handgun World Podcast. Bob carries a gun because he can't carry a cop. Hello everyone, Bob Main here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. Episode 525, to be exact, this is coming out on Sunday, October 4th, 2020. And it's also a practical show done by a practical guy, and that is me. Just a quick reminder, this show is sponsored by Concealment Solutions, Makers of fantastic holsters. I own several of them. Uh, Concealment Solutions holsters, they're all, I mean, obviously they're made in the USA. Jason Christensen, the owner and the founder, uh, provides terrific service. I'm glad to have them as a sponsor. I just recently ordered, and I paid for it, by the way. Um, not not free to me, but I ordered a, a Cobra Zero holster for my Glock 43, as I mentioned in last week's episode i've decided to start carrying my uh, glocks in straight drop holsters and uh, it's a lot easier for me to draw them mainly because of the angle of the grip so when i put a glock with a with a little bit more aggressive grip grip angle into a holster that has a 15 degree cant it just doesn't work very well to me a holster with a 15 degree cant's good for my m&p or my sig p365 but just not that good for me for Glock. So I'm a, you know going to experience experiment, excuse me, with the Glock 43 and 43X in a straight drop holster, and that should uh, be pretty well. I should be able to draw nice and easy. It should be something that I think is going to be a good combination for me, and it's something you might want to consider too. Concealment Solutions. dot com. The coupon code Handgun World gives you a 10% discount. That's one word, handgun world, for a 10% discount. Speaking of holsters, I've gone strictly to outside the waistband. I don't carry anything uh, inside the waistband either anymore. Um, It's almost all, you know, 95%. I shouldn't say I don't carry anything. But about 95% of the time, I am carrying outside the waistband. And it's, it's going to be in a, in a Concealment Solutions Cobra. For me, outside the waistband is faster. It's more comfortable. I can always conceal it. And it just uh, seems to make more sense to me. Even, even more sense than, than appendix inside the waistband carry. One of the big strengths of appendix inside the waistband carry is it's generally the fastest method of inside the waist uh, carry. The fastest way to draw your gun is from the appendix position. I have no problem drawing from outside the waistband strong side hip. Uh, It's just as fast for me. Now the only disadvantage is if I had to make a one-handed draw with my left hand. I'm a right-hander. So that would be kind of challenging, but it's uh, less challenging when I'm outside the waistband carrying than it would be inside 
the waistband. Folks, you have to remember, I take an everyday guy's perspective on all this stuff because that's what I am. I'm an everyday guy. I am not an insider. I'm not a firearms industry insider. I'm not a gun writer. I'm not a gunsmith. I'm not ex-law enforcement. I'm not ex-military or anything like that. I'm just a, a regular guy since 2005. I've been carrying guns and I've taken my Second Amendment rights very seriously uh, for the past 15 years. So I bring these experiences to you on this show. A lot of people call in voicemails. Uh, I welcome voicemails here on the Handgun World podcast. And recently I got a couple of real good ones. These are a few weeks old. I'm sorry it's taken me so long to answer these. I had a few other things I wanted to talk about in some of the most recent episodes. Uh, I'm going to get to the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution pretty soon after these voicemails. As you guys know, if you've been last uh, listening the, the past few episodes... Uh, once a week, I am covering one amendment of the United States Constitution Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments. And once a week, I'm I'm discussing one of the uh, of the amendments. I should be done a couple of days before Election Day. So I want you to know what it is, why you are voting, what it is that you're trying to protect, and mostly it's the Bill of Rights. And I want you to think about it because. I want you know, before you vote, if you haven't voted already, I want you to think about who is going to do the best job. And I'm not just talking about president. I'm talking about your congressmen, your senators, your mayors, your state legislators, your county judges, whoever it is. Who is going to do the best job of protecting your constitutional rights? And most importantly, the ten, uh, the first ten amendments, the United States Constitution, commonly called the Bill of Rights. So I'm going to get to that shortly. Let's play the first voicemail that I recently received. Hey, yeah, I'm calling in response to your uh, show about the fit and feel of guns. Um, I'm not expecting you to put something on the show. If you want to, that's fine. Uh, me and a friend, he, we were opposites. He'd buy anything. He had a collection. He had, he'd never develop anything, but he'd buy it all, and he'd love to do his thing. I, he, he said he was a gun, uh, well, we're not going to use words, but he was a liberal gun person. I'm a conservative gun person. It has to be this, has to be that. I, you know, I want it to be this material, that action, this caliber, cartridge, and that sort of thing. This, the thing about fit, I know, I've never gotten, because that was his position. His position was, you know, you, you want a gun that fits good in your hand. With me, that's the last priority. I get a gun to perform. I want the cartridge, I want the action. I want the type of gun, that sort of thing. And it's up to me, with my flexible hands, to fit the gun, not the gun to fit me. So I'd love to, to hear how I'm wrong about that. Because the gun I've got, i got a Glock 40 MOS. Glock 40 MOS with underwood uh, extreme penetrators can't be beat. I'm sorry. I mean, it goes through bulletproof glass. It goes through bulletproof vests. It does this, that, and the other thing. Best damn thing I've ever seen. It's the only cartridge I consider better than a 45. So I just don't understand this gun fit and feel. Uh, it's, it makes sense in itself, but I would think that that's the last priority you would have is, you know, how does it feel in my hand? So I'd, I'd love it if you'd go into that. Uh, otherwise, I was hoping to answer your question, my favorite question. If you could only own one handgun, 
And it had to be good for everything, from hunting to self-defense to shooting down Chinese military aircraft. What would it be? If you would only have one handgun for everything, what would it be? That one I'd like to hear on the show. Thank you very much, and uh, hope to catch you again sometime. Sir, thank you for that message. I appreciate that. Uh, he was obviously talking about a, a recent episode I did on gun fit and feel and things like that and how to select your you know, your your primary carry gun and buying a first gun and, and things like that. So uh, <laughs> good voicemail, a couple of good things here. Uh, I would not say that fit and feel would be the last priority. Um, sir, thanks again for the voicemail. I'm just going to slightly disagree. I don't think that gun fit and feel should be your last priority. But I will agree with you, sir, that how a gun fits and feels uh probably should not be your top priority either yeah and that's different than what a lot of people say uh you can hear an endless amount of people in the firearms world say your handgun's got to fit your hand and it's got to feel well well first of all fit and feel are two different things fit and feel are two different things the the dimensions of the gun the girth grip the trigger reach and, and things like that, even the bore axis and all that, that contributes to how a gun fits. Um, but it may not actually feel real well in your hand. And even if a gun feels well, it doesn't mean that you can shoot it well. Uh, even if a gun feels real good in your hand, it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to just, you know, shoot it like a house on fire. Now, a gun fit is going to help you shoot a little bit better if it fits you because I mean if the trigger reach is too long for example trigger reach is an important thing length of pull is what it's sometimes called uh, the trigger reach I think is a very important thing uh, for example some people don't you know they can't reach the trigger on a Glock without shifting their grip they just can't seem to get a an optimal um, uh, finger a trigger finger on the gun in an optimal position so we would say that basically the length of pull of, the, of a Glock is too long. Now, you can make trigger modifications to a Glock pistol. Um, you can put flat triggers in. Flat triggers typically help if somebody has a hard time reaching the trigger. Um, it's just that little bit of difference there, uh, having a flat trigger. You know, M&Ps, M&Ps are great. M&Ps have a very short trigger reach. SIGs, uh, double action SIGs, for example, have a very long trigger reach uh, sometimes double action Berettas have a long trigger reach and you know in big fat grips and same with the SIGs so sometimes those don't fit people's hand and it's difficult for them to shoot so hand uh, handgun fit is I don't know if that's a top priority but it's a high priority but handgun feel is a lot different and and I think I might agree that although it might not be your last priority it'd be farther down on the list as far as a gun that works the best for you in my opinion what takes top priority no matter who you are no matter what handgun you're you're considering reliability reliability and as this caller called in he's talking about performance and performance it, reliability is part of performance is it not it's probably the most important thing in performance. Uh, that gun's got to work, folks. It's got to work. There's nothing more frustrating or dangerous than a gun that doesn't work properly. Yeah, I said dangerous. 
a gun when you need it to save your life and, and it doesn't work, that's dangerous. That's just downright dangerous. A gun that doesn't work, a gun that malfunctions, a gun that just won't run like it's supposed to. And shoot whatever ammo that you have in it. Because when you need a gun, you need it right now. You don't need it three seconds later. You don't need it ten seconds later. You need it right now. And it's got to work. It's got to work on every shot that you fire. You know, if it fires a, a round of... If it fires a magazine of eight rounds and only one malfunction, that's not good enough. A magazine of eight rounds with only one malfunction. Folks, that is not good enough. 50 rounds with only one malfunction is not good enough. 200 rounds with only one malfunction is not good enough. What if that one malfunction every 50 rounds happens to be the one time you need it? That's just not good. That, that's just dangerous, folks. So that should be your number one priority in picking any handgun is reliability. And that has to do with performance. So I like this caller. I'm going to get to his last question in a minute because uh, it's a fun one. It's a fun question. Um, he's talking about a Glock 40 in this, which is a, a, a long slide 10 millimeter. Um, and sir, if you can carry that, if that's a good carry gun for you, if that's a gun you will have with you all the time, whenever you need it, then more power to you. Because I think the second most important thing in selecting a handgun is it for carry is will you carry it? Is it is it conducive for you to carry it? A handgun is absolutely useless if you're not going to carry it. I should say a carry gun. Uh, obviously, and that, that's, that's obvious, right? should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's useless. Don't you agree? If you won't carry the gun. A lot of people will not carry a Glock 40. They won't carry a full-size, long-slide, modular optic system, 10-millimeter, firearm a lot of people won't practice with a gun like that but sir you called in if if you'll practice with it if you'll carry with it or carry it and everything then okay rock on carry on more power to you for me it's more realistic that i'm gonna have a glock 43x a smith and wesson shield a sig p365 a glock 19 a gun like that in 9mm that I'm willing to train with, that I'm willing to practice with all the time, and I'll carry, and it'll be with me all the time. Or if I have to go real small, a Glock 42 or even a Pocket 380 of some kind, like my uh, awesome Ruger LCP2 in 380. It's a gun I'm going to have with me all the time. If I owned a Glock 40 uh, modular optic system 10 millimeter it'd be a great range toy but it would sit in my safe and only go to the range with me uh, as a range toy and I would not really consider it a, uh, a self-defense handgun unless it was a dedicated home defense handgun that might be but I'm telling you what a, a, a Glock 19 or a Glock 17 is just fine for me or an M&P 2.0 compact one of the finest guns on the planet is is perfectly okay for me for home defense but a good call sir i appreciate that and then he said if i could only have one oh wow the old classic question if i could only have one how many thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of times has that been asked it's probably the most famous internet question about firearms ever asked 
um, the most popular. If I could only have one gun, or if you could have only one gun, which one would it be? That might be actually the second most asked question. I think the most asked question is, what gun should I get? Right? That's, that's what everybody asks. What gun should I get? And then probably the second most popular question is, well, if you could only own one gun, or if you could only have one gun for everything, what would it be? Well, no one gun does everything. In my opinion, no one gun does everything. Uh, first of all, I think it would really suck if I had to only have one gun. Now, there are some people who do only have one gun. Uh, for me, it would suck. Now, if, if you're the kind of person where it, that only one gun fits in your budget and only one gun is practical for you to purchase, that's fine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Because for a long time, I only owned one gun. That was it, one handgun. That was it. And I had a shotgun. Uh, and that's it. I had I had a 20-gauge shotgun and I had one handgun for a long time. And so if you can only have one gun, I, I hope that you've picked something that you can both conceal carry, practice, uh, you can learn the gun inside and out, and that you're willing to use it and you're willing to train with it and practice with it. Some people say a Glock 19. I used to say, hey, Glock 19. If I only had to pick one gun, it would be a Glock 19 because it's a do-everything gun. Well, it's not really a do-everything gun. It's pretty close. I mean, it's pretty close. You can do you can do a lot of things with a Glock 19. You can carry a Glock 19 and conceal it very well. And you can carry it all day long. You've got the right belt and the right holster. Uh, you, you can carry a Glock 19 all day long. You can use it as a, a duty weapon, as a service weapon. Uh, some people do. Some, some law enforcement uh, will use a Glock 19 as a duty weapon. You can use it for a home defense weapon. You can use it for a competition gun. And it, you know, it does all of those things pretty well. It may not be the best at all of those. Oh, and by the way, by the way, reliability. The most important thing of any handgun is that it's reliable. Glock 19s are extremely reliable. If kept stock and not messed around and tinkered with too much, they're very reliable. Just like an M&P 2.0 compact. Just like a, a SIG P320X out there. You know, for some people, it might be a, it might be a Smith & Wesson Shield. Uh, it could be a, a SIG P365 XL. That sounds like another gun that, that I've had some experience shooting a P365 XL. That's something that could do just about everything. That's a gun that's probably a, a do-everything gun. Uh, I like to have more than one gun choice. And, I, and, of course, I do have more than one gun choice. I have a series of guns, or I have several handguns that, based on my need that day at that time, Based on my situation, where I'm going, what I'm doing, how I'm dressing, I always have a gun with me. There's, there's, there's no question. I always have a gun, but it could be one of several guns that I own. So the old question about if I could only have one, if I'm backed into it, if I'm forced, if I have absolutely no other choice, there are two guns that I would pick from, and I'd have a hard time making a decision. If I only had to have 
or if I can only have just one of these two, I, you know, I'm not going to say it's a Glock 19 because there are so many other real good guns out there now um, that if I, Glock 19 is a fantastic gun, but I really kind of like, I mean, I, I really very much like my SIG P365 or a 365XL. I don't own a 365XL, so a P365 is great. A Glock 43X is great because you can buy nice shield arms, 15-round magazines for that gun. A shield, a shield's a fantastic if I could only have one gun. That's a fantastic choice because a shield... Uh, it's such a great shooter, such a soft shooter. You can go to the range and have fun for a long time. You you could take a two-day training class with a shield and, and enjoy it. People have come to the classes that Ben and I teach with a Smith & Wesson Shield 9mm. Several people have done it. We've had that gun complete two-day classes in the hands of students uh, at Beyond Concealed Carry that Ben and I teach which, by the way, we got coming up in Dallas and Houston uh, pretty soon. But I have, I'll talk more about that a little bit later in this episode. So there's some examples of some if I could only have one gun guns. Okay? So with that said, let me just take a brief break and I will be right back. An Australian law enforcement officer called their gun registration, quote, an elaborate system of arithmetic with no tangible aim. They also called its crime control use a fallacy. New Zealand police called their gun registration system useless. Canadian registration has cost 1,600% more than originally projected, and a top Canadian cop said it does nothing to take one illegal gun off the street. And in Germany, some people estimate that upwards of 80% of all guns there are still not registered. So why do some senators, and some presidents for that matter, think that it will work in America? Arm yourself with facts to strip the gun control industry bare. Visit gunfacts.info and get your free copy of Gun Facts. Called Indispensable by Cam Edwards of NRA News, Gun Facts is your rapid reference guide to debunking gun control myths and shaming politicians into obedience. www.gunfacts.info Okay, back with you. And once again, thank you very much to that caller for that excellent voicemail. Another voicemail is coming up that I'm going to play for you, but I want to go ahead and talk about the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution, the Fifth Amendment uh, of the Bill of Rights of the first 10 amendments of the Constitution. And again, one per week that I'm covering uh, until Election Day, which I should be able to get through all 10 if I've done my calculations right. If not, we'll get caught up uh, somehow. So let's, let's get into this. The Fifth Amendment says, No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless a presentment or indictment of a grand jury except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in time of war or public danger nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb 
otherwise known as double jeopardy, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall be nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. Ooh, there's a lot in there. There's a lot into the Fifth Amendment. Uh, people say, you know, I plead the Fifth. It's their right to remain silent. It's their right to not have to incriminate themselves, to be a witness against themselves. And uh, just a lot of stuff in here. Right to the grand jury and all kinds of stuff in here. Um, so basically, we'll break this down real quickly. I'll break it down real quickly and, um, and cover it with you. Um, grand juries, they're, they're kind of a holdover from the early British common law dating back to the 12th century. So the grand jury right, that's a very old, old, old um, right or model of a British common law going back a long time ago. Uh, double jeopardy. The double jeopardy clause is basically to protect against, protect against the harassment of an individual through continuous prosecution. Continuous prosecution of the same crime. And I'm going to put a link to this this uh, this source of information I'm using right now in the show notes. So check that out. As you know, links to what I talk about are almost always in the show notes. The self-incrimination part of the Fifth Amendment protects criminal defendants from having to testify if they might incriminate themselves through that testimony. A witness can plead the Fifth and not answer if that witness believes that answering the question may be incriminating himself or herself. The Due Process Clause of the Fifth Amendment. The guarantee of due process for all people requires the government to respect all rights, guarantees, and protections afforded by the United States Constitution and all applicable statutes before the government can deprive anybody. And this is this is in very important right here. Before the government can deprive any person of life, liberty, or property. Due process essentially guarantees that a party will receive a fundamentally fair, orderly, and just trial or judicial proceeding. Okay? Um, that's very important. And then the just compensation clause. Now, the just compensation clause isn't talked about too much, but it's in there. While the federal government does have a constitutional right to take private property for public use, the Fifth Amendment's Just Compensation Clause requires that a government must pay just compensation, just compensation, interpreted as market value to the owner of the property, valued at the time of the taking. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court has defined fair market value as the most probable price that a willing but unpressured buyer, fully knowledgeable of the property's good and bad attributes, would actually pay. Uh, interesting stuff here in the Fifth Amendment. So, again, I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to read about all this that I've been reading here, studying up on the Fifth Amendment. Good stuff. Remember, this is the kind of stuff that you, you, the people of the United States of America, and including me, including all of us that are going to be voting on November 3rd. We're voting for this stuff right here. 
Yes, I know we're voting for candidates and we're voting for some of you going to have questions on the ballot and things like that. But ultimately, we are voting to protect, uphold, defend, and preserve this great document called the United States Constitution that a lot of people want to shred. Be careful. A lot of people want to crumble this up, throw it in the garbage can, and set it on fire. There are a lot of politicians that want to do that. Please, don't you let them. Next week, the Sixth Amendment will be part of my show. Okay, next up, another voicemail. Hey, Bob, it's Dave uh, from Utah. Um, so, I'm listening to your most recent podcast about your favorite gun. You mentioned uh, um, looking at trainers and how you need to kind of evaluate and, and when you're when you're looking at a firearm trainer, you know, understand that somebody who's really good at shooting might not necessarily be really good at teaching, and someone who's good at teaching might not necessarily be really super awesome at shooting. Um, so I just took a, I just participated in the training summit, um, the primary and secondary that just happened up in Utah uh, Labor Day weekend. And we got to spend a lot of time with some really awesome instructors. And um, so I just wanted to add a, a little augment your comment here. Um, I think it was Mark Freeborn who was saying that an advantage of taking shooting training from an instructor who has actually been in a shooting is that they tend to teach uh, the skill kind of stripped down and with not a lot of extra, you know, BS around it. You know, there's plenty of people who will hear hear things from other instructors and kind of repeat them, and then you get kind of the telephone game going, and some extra nonsense kind of starts to creep in. And he was saying that um, people who have actually been in shooting, like, you know, Ben Branham, they will tend to teach things to people. They'll t- teach the skill of shooting very just kind of stripped down, not a lot of extra nonsense, because they understand there's other things going on and they understand kind of what's required to prevail in a shooting and it's not a lot of um, extra, you know, overcomplication. So just wanted to throw that in there and kind of agree with you and, and add a little bit more flavor to your comment um, and uh, keep up good work. Thanks. Bye. Dave, thanks for calling. I'm going to get to Dave's uh, voicemail here in a minute, but I just want to explain, re-explain to everybody why I'm talking about all these amendments in the Bill of Rights, in the Constitution. I absolutely love the United States Constitution, folks. I think it is the second greatest document ever written in, in history, uh, second only being to the, to the Bible. As you guys know, I'm a, uh, a strong believer. I'm a strong Christian. Uh, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I absolutely will profess that until my last day and spend eternity with him in heaven. That is my that is my belief. Now, if you don't share my belief, that is okay, because I still love you. You're a great person, and you know what? Um, you, you're a gun owner, and, and that's who I serve in uh, for this podcast. I serve gun owners. I serve you, the listener. Ultimately, in my life, I serve the Lord Jesus, but for this podcast, I serve you, the gun owner and the shooter and the self-defense lover and the lover of freedom. So for you that I serve in this podcast, I must say 
the Constitution is it's it's like I said it's the second greatest document ever made and I think it's the one thing that we must it's the absolute thing that must be preserved without doubt okay to Dave's voicemail Dave thank you for calling in what a great point what a great point about instructors, especially instructors who have who have been in a gunfight. Um, as, as you know, Ben's been in 11 gunfights. He's my instructing partner. He's my instructing partner. And what's really cool, what you get, what you get when you take a class with us, and I don't mean this to be a commercial. I just mean this to be an answer to Dave's, kind of a comment to Dave's voicemail. What you get is you get someone like Ben who has been out there numerous times and, and fought for our country and put his life on the line and been in combat and been shot at and returned fire. You get his perspective and then you also get my perspective as an everyday guy who has not been to war, who has not actually been in a gunfight. And I kind of put the everyday person flavor on all of the techniques and the concepts that are taught in the class. So you get both perspectives and that's why I think we have such a unique class. We have such a unique class that you really just can't find anywhere else. So come take Beyond Concealed Carry with us. Uh, coming up in Dallas, November 14th and 15th, 2020. And then in the middle of January in Houston, you can check it out at handgunworld.com, handgunworld.com, or modernselfprotection.com slash courses. You can, you can read the course descriptions, see the dates, the times, the prices. We have early bird specials and everything. Ben and I are just really psyched up about teaching these. We only have, I think, four or five spots left for the Dallas class uh, in Waxahachie. It's going to be down at a range down uh, south of Dallas in Waxahachie. And uh, the Houston class enrollments just got started for that. And again, that's going to be in January. So, Dave, um, this is a great voicemail. You brought up a great point there. And you know, we, you have to learn things from a no-nonsense perspective. And a lot of instructors out there like to kind of teach operator courses. And they like to really enhance self-defense techniques to almost beyond a, beyond a level to where that the average citizen can learn it. And we get so much feedback in our classes from just regular people saying, hey, you know what? I just I didn't even know I could do this with a handgun. I've I've learned so much. I've progressed so much. I'm such a better shooter just in these two days that I spent here than I was than I was when I first walked up and started signing your waiver at the beginning of the class. So it's we definitely we definitely it's a no nonsense approach. Uh, we definitely do only give you what you need and nothing that you don't in our classes. We give you what you need to defend yourself with your handgun and nothing that you don't need. Okay, For an example, to give you an example, we used to spend a significant amount of time teaching people how to reload their firearm. Okay, If you run out of ammo, how to reload it, how to reload it quickly and efficiently. We don't spend a lot of time on that. We teach a little bit about it, but not much. Not what we used to. You know why? Because, you know, let's think about it, folks. I mean, the proof's in the pudding, as they say. There just aren't very many civilian gunfights that involve a reload. There just aren't. I mean, you know, you know during COVID-19, you hear so much about all the science, right? The science behind COVID. You know, what does the science tell us about this disease? 
Well, what do what do actual gunfights? What does the evidence tell us about actual gunfights? What's the what does the science tell us about civilian gunfights? The science says not many of them involve a reload. It just doesn't. Um, there's not very many times where the person where where the person in the gunfight, um, you know, the, where the winner or loser of the gunfight had to reload. Now I'm not talking about law enforcement uh, encounters. Uh, I'm not talking about military. I am talking about an everyday person like me if we have to use our gun to defend ourselves. Now, you should, you should still carry a magazine. Why am I saying you should still carry a magazine, an extra magazine, in case of a malfunction? And a malfunction is far more likely, folks, far more likely. So we spend more time in our class on how to clear malfunctions because it's much more likely to happen than you needing more ammo to finish the fight. I mean, you think about it. Let's analyze the, the guns out there that a lot of people carry. Let's analyze the guns that people typically carry these days. SIG P365. You're starting with 11 rounds or 13 rounds, depending on which magazine you're carrying. A Smith & Wesson Shield. You're starting with 8 rounds or 9 rounds in the gun depending on what you're carrying. A Glock 19 or an M&P 2.0 compact, you're starting with 16 rounds or more, depending on what you're carrying. An XDS, you're starting with what, uh, seven, or, seven or eight rounds in the gun, depending on what it, what it is that you're carrying. I'm talking about nine millimeter guns. Even if you're carrying a 45 1911, you're starting with eight rounds or nine rounds in the pistol, depending on what magazine that you're carrying. Even if you're carrying a snub nose revolver, you're starting with five rounds in in the revolver. And that'd probably be the smallest amount of ammo, the smallest capacity that most people are gonna have, that anybody's gonna have, is the smallest. Well, typically in five rounds, it's all over. Uh, and if you look at these other guns, Nine rounds, ten rounds, twelve rounds, thirteen rounds in the pistol. It's over by then, folks. It's over. Even eight rounds. You got a 1911 with seven rounds in the mag and one in the uh, chamber. It's it's over by the time you fired eight rounds. I mean, I I can say probably with a with a 96 percent chance of success that. Uh, in guessing this right, in guessing this right, what I'm saying, when I say 96%, I can guess it correctly 96% of the time that, that your gunfight, God forbid that you ever have to be in one, it's going to be over in seven or eight rounds. So reloading is just not very common, folks. So we're not going to spend hours and hours teaching you how to reload because ours is a self-defense class. Now, if we were teaching how to be a better competitor, if we were teaching how to shoot IDPA, how to shoot USPSA, yeah, then guess what? Then we're going to spend a lot of time teaching you how to reload because nearly every single stage you're going to have to reload when you shoot competition. But self-defense is not competition. Uh, now, please uh, don't start don't start hitting me with comments that competition is going to get you killed in the streets because it won't. It won't. I've busted that myth long time ago. 
That's just not true. But again, you have to remember what is it that we teach. So great, great voicemail, Dave. Thank you for calling in. Folks, if you want to call in a voicemail, the number is 210-646-1727. That's 210-646-1727. Love to hear from you and put you on the show. Okay, I want to wrap up by talking about a little bit of modern survivalism. Um, survivalism from a no tin foil hat perspective. I don't like going tin foil hat on you. I keep it rooted in common sense. But what kind of a skill are you learning to help yourself survive? Modern day survivalism. What kind of a skill? Some people learn how to can food. Some people learn how to grow more food. They learn how to store food. They learn how to shrink wrap. They learn how to store water. You know, things like that. They learn, they might learn a shooting skill, or they might take martial arts, or they might engage in some fitness training activity to make themselves more fit, or they might learn a new skill on using different types of tools so they can become a better, maybe a better carpenter, or be able to design and build things better. Things like that. They might take a medical class so they can learn, become better at first aid. All these things are becoming a a modern-day survivalist, and it's all common sense, right? It's all common sense. It's the type of lifestyle that our grandparents and our great-grandparents used to live, and we've gotten away from that way too much these days. We need to get back to that. So what are you doing? So what I've been doing, just to give you a personal example, is learning how to reload ammunition. Um, matter of fact, uh, tomorrow, I'm I'm dictating this podcast on, on a Saturday. Tomorrow, on Sunday... Uh, when this podcast release releases, uh, shortly after this release, I'll be at the range. I'll be at the range testing some reloaded ammunition that a friend of mine and I have reloaded together. I'm learning to do it. We've been able to buy some primers. We've been able to collect a whole lot of brass. We've been able to buy get a good deal on some, some projectiles lately. And uh, we're both learning what's the right amount of powder and how much powder for each, you know, different grain weight of the bullets and things like that this is a survival skill okay it's difficult to buy ammunition these days it's nearly impossible to find ammunition and if you do find it it's at a ridiculously high price so what am i doing i'm learning a skill i'm learning a skill to help mitigate that problem that's what modern survivalism is all about doing what you can with what you have wherever you are I've said that for a long time, and you know, I've been thinking about bringing back today's survival show. I'm not quite sure if I'm going to do that. I've been thinking about doing it, um, still trying to work out a couple of things. But in the meantime, until I make my decision one way or the other, whether I want to bring that back, in almost each of these episodes, I am going to put in some ideas on how to be a better survivalist. And so I'm going to ask you, what is the skill that you are going to learn? And let's say between now and the end of the year, let's set a smart goal, a smart goal, and let's say the smart goal is going to be the the end of the year, December 31st, 2020. And wow, thank God, 2020 is coming to an end. Whew. Has this been has this been an awful year or what? I this has been the the worst year in most people's memory. I'm I'm telling you. So I I think almost everybody listening to this to this podcast is going to be happy. When 2020 is over, um, it's this this year has memories that we we all want to get rid of, and and I pray that 2021 is an improvement over 2020. And I'll tell you, 
uh, it can't get much worse. So uh, let's just let's keep that. How about all of us pray for a good 2021? How's that? But by December 31st, what is the one skill that you are going to learn? Just one. Don't try to learn five skills or ten skills all at once. Just pick one and tell us about it. Send me an email. Call in a voicemail, 210-646-1727. I'd like to hear from some of you. Some feedback on it or on Facebook. There's a Facebook post and a Twitter post that I put out for every podcast. Uh, so you can throw comments on there if you wish. Uh, check out my YouTube channel, by the way, before I sign off. Check out my YouTube channel, uh, Handgun World on YouTube. If you want to support this show, if if I help you in any way and you feel that you're getting some benefit, remember, I only have one sponsor. Uh, concealment solutions that's it jason over there helps me pay some of the bills to put on this show if you want to support me some more you can join the shooters club shootersclubmembers.com shootersclubmembers.com i also now have a patreon page Um, and for as little as three dollars a month you can become a patreon member and i've already got seven or eight videos just for the patreon page i also have written the first article in a 10 article series sort of like a book that i have written called beyond conceal i'm sorry (laughs) that's the name of our class the name of my article or my book is because i can't carry a cop because i can't carry a cop that's the title and it's just good practical information that you need to know about concealed carry and about the everyday guy's perspective towards concealed carry so you can read chapter one article one of my um because I can't carry a cop book on Patreon right now. The next one's coming out about the 15th or a little bit after the 15th of October. So head over to patreon.com slash handgunworld. My Amazon store is alive and well. So you can please feel free to do your shopping. The holidays are coming up. Wow, isn't that amazing? You can also support me and not have to spend any extra money. Just go to handgunworld.com first. Then go to my Amazon store. And then you can log into your account, make your purchases. And Amazon will pay me a little bit for you being a listener and a supporter. So how cool is that? And last but not least, come take one of our classes. Okay, folks, that's it. Uh, Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. A practical show done by a practical guy. I am Bob Main. I'm your host. Before I sign off, let me remind you, evil does not exist in the holster. It exists in the hearts of men and women. Shoot straight, shoot safe, read your Bible every day, and I'll talk to you next week. Good.